0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi.
1: I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and
2: healthy pork beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030.
3: Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music, kicking off a brand new week here at Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Your voice improving? You're You seem okay, though, right?
3: I'm about 80%. Okay.
1: Voice sounds a little better. A little bit. Yeah.
3: Well, I no longer feel like I need to hack up a lung every time I take a deep <laughs> breath, but it, it's still annoying.
1: Yeah, and you know, those are one of those deals that seems to take a while to get past.
3: Get oh, yeah, but thankfully, I ran out of my cough medicine Saturday night, so <laughs> thankfully. I'm, I'm stuck using the over-the-counter that was prescribed to me, which is just asinine.
1: That is crazy. How
3: long did you go to school, Doc, to tell me that I need to take Tylenol and ibuprofen and <laughs> Robitussin? Thanks. <laughs>
1: Waste of freaking time and energy. Yeah, I, I agree. So, here in the Magnolia State, specifically in the capital city, Coach Primetime, Dion Sanders, fired up a crowd of alumni, boosters, players, etc. as he celebrated his hire as the new head coach for Colorado University he says we're going to win so he is leaving Jackson State for this gig at Colorado they need some help Colorado they didn't fare too well I don't know what their record was but they've really kind of not very many and a whole lot yeah that's what I thought He did say, however, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. He did say, I have work to finish in Jackson, Mississippi. He said he will coach the, I guess this is what he's talking about, coach the unbeaten Tigers in the Celebration Bowl. That comes up on December the 17th. That's the championship for the HBCU, historically black college football programs. And then he says he's all in on the Buffaloes. So... Lots of uh, controversial opinions, I guess. It's it's uh, sparked quite the controversy of opinion on this. And uh, he's headed for, I guess, a better gig, is what you'd have to call it, certainly from a financial perspective it is. And some would say, or referring to him as a sellout, labeling it as that, I don't think it's a sellout. I mean, the man has the right to work where he wants, last I checked. Now, if he made some sort of long-term commitment and then breached that, that'd be an issue, but I'm not sure he ever publicly stated or even privately stated, we may not know the answer to that, that he was there for some term. Some guaranteed term. I don't know that that happened.
3: I mean, it's really difficult for for me to fault a guy when he's got salary that's six figures, a nice salary, Mm -hmm. but you're having to turn around and donate half of it back to the university just to get the facilities up to snuff. Yeah. When an opportunity comes along that's going to pay you seven figures and you don't have to
1: do that. Uh, You'd be kind of dumb not to take the new gig. And some, of course, always seeking to racialize everything in our country, right, have said that, you know, because he's a black person, he should be loyal to this HBCU, Historically Black College. Well, that seems racist unto itself, does it not? that because he's black he should be loyal. It's almost like the
3: people that inject race into everything are the real racists. (laughs) And
1: I don't know if you've been to Colorado, but there are not very many black folks in the state of Colorado. I don't think there are hardly any on the campus of Colorado University. Uh, But that shouldn't matter. I mean, that's irrelevant. I I thought that's the way this whole deal was supposed to work. The university saw fit to hire this man, probably the best available. I don't know if you'd call them available, but they're available in in that if you extended them an offer, they would accept it. I I would say that makes them available. I think it's a a good move for them because he's proven he's a pretty dang good football coach. (laughs) And it seems to be a very good leader of young men
3: so, i mean if you if you're just looking at the monetary reasons to leave to take the new gig that makes a lot of sense if you're looking at the 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 whole package of you've built a program in a less competitive league that will be easier to repeat the success versus a program like colorado where He's going to have to hit it out of the park on some hires, he's going to have to hit it out of the park on some recruiting. And even then he still might not get anywhere close to an undefeated season like he had at Jackson State.
1: Yeah, a little taller task to compete in that conference and on that scale than it was at uh at Jackson State. Let's just be honest about it in that in that conference, but you know, he Sometimes I think we lose sight of what the job function here is. It's to win football games. That's what you're paid to do. Not, I don't know, create a flying pig, as they would say. That's not your job here. That's not what you're being asked to do. You're a football coach. First and foremost, you are there to win football games. And winning football games, I think it has been proven in plain sight, also has a tremendous economic impact and lots of other positive impacts on the schools, the program, the donations, the communities in which the schools are located, and the states. Look no further than just to our east at In Tuscaloosa, what kind of impact has Nick Saban had on the university, on Tuscaloosa and the surrounding area, and the entire state of Alabama? Because he wins. That's what people want, which makes you wonder, scratch your head, why are so many in this country obsessed with mediocrity? And all sorts of other immutable physical characteristics in determining outcomes and not producing value. And in college football, that comes in the form of winning football games. (laughs) Just simple as that. We should apply these same standards, of course, across our society. Well, all the structure of society the private sector obviously the public sector but this is an area where it's yet to invade it right we're seeing all kinds of reports we've talked about them in, in the higher ed community medical schools now that are gone totally woke and are targeting we share the report the University of Florida targeting minorities and underrepresented communities as uh, for admission into med school and then sort of giving them a pass academically, seeing elimination of the the grading of the the exit exams, which are typically used for placement for internships and so forth. It, that's given way to no, we can't do that anymore. It's, we're just going to hand pick it based uh, on these other physical attributes. Well, that still hasn't made it. It doesn't appear into athletics. And even the left hasn't gone that far, but you wonder, when's it going to happen? When are we going to see five-foot, nothing, fat white guys in the NBA? What's different? Maybe folks say that's a stretch. I can't help but think, Rhino, about that fascinating video we played a year or so ago, the University of Florida, <laughs> and the students were asked about about uh, so-called affirmative action in the classroom and in in tenure and hiring administrative staff and so forth. Yeah, they're all for that and equalizing grades on that basis, but what about on the football team? Oh, no, we couldn't do that. <laughs> We're not that good already, is what one of them said. Uh, Because they personally benefit and enjoy and celebrate their success on the football field. But yeah, in the classroom and in the administrative offices, sure, we need to do that. Mm. When we come back, what about some reparations that California is considering mind-boggling dollar value we're in the Element Well Studios. Doug Kelly, CEO of the American Edge Project, at eleven oh five. Stay with us.
0: Now back to midday's with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: and the news bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are live from the Element Wealth Studios kicking off a brand new week. We're going to be broadcasting live from Stones Jewelry in Tupelo on Wednesday where there will be Christmas savings throughout the store. Bring a new blanket or monetary donation to help the Sanctuary Hospice and you'll be entered to win a prize each hour. So I'll be on the road again, uh, Rhino. Headed up there to your hometown of Tupelo. Looking forward to that. The good folks at Stone's Jewel Jewelry should be fun. And we got a few more remotes before the end of the year. We're going to be a corner market here pretty soon. I think the 16th, sounds like it's right. We'll be back at... Carter Jewelers, we're going to be at Mississippi Blood Services. I think that'll wrap up the year as far as remotes are concerned. It's hard to believe we are inside a month until those zany legislators are back under the dome at the Capitol. That will give us uh, plenty to discuss without a doubt. Looking forward to that. And it is an election year. Are we going to have fun or what with the 2023... That's one way to describe it. <laughs> ...election year coming up. On the CSpire text line, which of course is 601-879-4395, I found it funny that he told the Colorado players they need to go ahead and transfer out because he's got his own players transferring in. There, There is some indication that uh, he does intend to... Bring a few of him with him out to Colorado. That's certainly what it appears. And that that's the current state of college football, is it not? You're sort of free to move around. The old days of signing up to play for a school, and that's pretty much permanent without a, a, a really almost exotic set of circumstances that would allow you to transfer. And even then, there was have to sit out uh, for a year, but that that seems to be out the window with the portal and now the NIL and all that other stuff, so it's very fluid is the situation, very fluid indeed. Mo says absolutely that is racist, saying he should be loyal to the HBCUs is saying he shouldn't be allowed to better himself. And I don't know that that's a widespread opinion, but I have seen it reported by some credible news organizations that there's been some chatter along those lines about that. CC in says he accomplished a mission at JSU, new challenge at Colorado. What's wrong with taking on a new challenge? Absolutely nothing as far as I'm concerned. Again, if he made some sort of commitment uh, and he is now breaching that commitment, that's a different story. But I've not heard anything to that effect, and I can't recall... Rhino him ever saying publicly, I am here, it's not the old pine box deal, right? (laughs) That is now legendary (laughs) amongst college football fans. That, of course, famous Tommy Tuberville speech. I will tell you, I I attended uh, Tommy Tuberville's welcome here in Jackson when he was hired as the head coach of Ole Miss. Had an event for him at at uh, the country club of Jackson not too far from where we are positioned and then I happen to tune in when he made that uh, his speech at Auburn when he was hired as their head coach after his stint at Ole Miss same speech by the way same exact speech it wasn't a bad speech by the way there's nothing wrong with what he said but it's it becomes a script almost for these guys does it not like like politicians to a great extent and preachers, and pre- you're right. Good point. So I mean, you sit in the pew enough Sundays at
3: the same church with the same guy <laughs> in the pulpit. You're going to go, "Oh
1: yeah, I remember this one." <laughs> well, and that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that if you're among the the audience and you hear it, it's not like that. They created it just for you. That I think that's the point here. It's it's repeated. Kind of limited material, I guess. Mike and goforth says after what he has done to help JSU, he should be given a key to the city and a huge thank you. I do think he held out. He would have gotten a better offer, and Colorado's not what you would say a bastion of college football. I don't think his college job a college job is his end game. Also he will probably take his son and several others with him. And not all may have gotten that opportunity, I say, go, Coach Prime. Jason says, won't take him long at all to win in the Pac-12, the way he recruits, gets transfers, and his very pedigreed staff. It ain't the SEC out here where everyone is three deep at every position with four- and five-star players.
3: Yeah, but it is still Colorado. Correct. Unless you just happen to have that – Three hundred and fifty pound, four four forty <laughs> offensive lineman that just loves snow skiing. That is correct. You are going to have an uphill battle to sell them on living in Colorado. Uh,
1: that is correct. Uh, but and they've had some periods. They and Colorado State, where they have what are they? The Rams, I believe. Colorado State. Colorado is the Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah, yeah. Because it's Colorado State. The green. As yeah. a green ram horn similar to the old LA Rams helmet. Uh so I, I mean you can win there. They have in the past. For sure. But uh you got some other good programs in the conference. Certainly the California A programs, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, they're all good as well. Wyoming's good here and there. Are they in the Pac twelve? Maybe not. Can't remember. They move around so much uh, these days, and the conferences tend to change a little bit. Used to be the Pack tent, right, in the old days. Neil from McGee. What do you got here, Neil? What are you showing? Something about, what's he saying there, Rhino? Hmm. Who cares what color the man is? He got a job offering paying way more money. Don't blame him one bit for going from Will on the Road. Gary In the Berg says, need more liking. Maybe a good interview for Supertalk. Oh, you're talking about this Biloxi Councilman Felix Gaines? I think I pronounced that correctly. He did announce that uh, this was reported yesterday. He's switching to the Republican Party from the Democrat Party. Yep. Thomas in Greenwood says, what will be the token legislation that will prove they are conservatives and make us forget the past three sessions' actions? What would you like it to be, Thomas? What would be the your top priority in the way of legislation you'd like to see enacted? And, and I can assure you there are legislators tuned in as we speak. Tell us what that is. I'm curious, I'm curious to know. They appreciate you coming by. Thomas came by, you know, to see me. I think I announced that Friday. I was down at the Mississippi Trade Mart for the Farm Bureau, Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation Centennial Anniversary. That was pretty cool. They had a one heck of a weekend. Big time talent entertained them. Speeches, seminars, breakout sessions, and so forth. Uh, congratulations to President Mike McCormick and company for. An excellent event, and again, can't say enough good stuff about the Mississippi Trademark. What a fantastic facility that is. Thank you, Commissioner Andy Gibson, for your efforts and the efforts of the legislature in making that facility a reality so desperately needed here in the state of Mississippi. Jerry and Pontotoc, I'm white. and Dion is a prime example that the free enterprise system is the best more power to him. Totally agree with you on, Jerry. The... The market is the only fair arbiter, in my view, of of pay, of compensation, and in this case, the market spoke, and and we see the uh, the results of the market at work, which is outstanding, in this case. Great analogy, because Tuberville is a politician now <laughs> on the C Spire text line, I, you know it. It, again, it wasn't anything negative about Coach Tuberville's remarks to both schools. It, it, I just found it rather fascinating that they were virtually identical. But I think, as Rhino says, there's just kind of a limit, it, and you find that across a, a wide spectrum of, of occupations, especially those that are public-facing with their remarks and, and their commentary. We uh, shall step aside for a break right here on uh, Middays. Don't forget, coming up at 11.05, we've got Doug Kelly, the CEO of the American Edge Project. We will discuss cybersecurity concerns of some proposed, what he terms is, anti-innovation legislation. And uh, be on the lookout for an uptick in cybersecurity attacks with the holidays upon us. Looking forward to that conversation at eleven oh five, we're coming right back. We're going to talk about those California reparations in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Midday's with Gerard Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love as a man insane.
3: You broke my wind, a Goodness, fine. Goodness gracious, balls of fire. You I oh,
1: oh, like my fine. Goodness, balls of fire. you you Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. So, Thomas and Greenwood says, I saw your post on this, Thomas. And, and uh, he, he sent a post in. He sent it, and he did the same thing here. He sent a post in to a, a Facebook site that I'm one of the five admins of. And he also just sent a screenshot. And it was a wallet hub study. Of the states which are most dependent on the federal government, and Mississippi ranks second behind Alaska, and I know that may come a bit as a shock to people that Alaska is the most federally dependent, but, Thomas, I I think, I'm just guessing here, I I would think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that what you're really more concerned about with respect to federal dependence is welfare. Uh, is the federal largesse in the form of, of welfare And if you looked at the methodology that was used in preparing this study, it was uh, it really had a lot more to do uh, the numbers at least the factors was a lot more than just welfare. In fact it it, it uh, scored the return on taxes paid to the federal government, and that got weighted fairly high. And then the state government's dependency, which is measured as the federal funding as a share of state revenue, that got a fairly high weight as well. So 50 points, as a matter of fact, and the other 50 went to return on taxes paid. And then they also looked at things like federal contracts, grants, other assistance, and the number of federal employees that work in the state. And you've got federal installations such as military installations and, and other assets that might be owned by the federal government that are located in the state to get funding, obviously, from the federal government. And so it's more than just welfare and dependency. And, in fact, Mississippi would rank at the top. Were it not for the fact that Alaska was, uh, I believe, the last state admitted to the Union, right? Is that right, Rhino? Yeah, last state. I think so. Either 49th or 50. But there's actually still a fair amount of money from the federal government going Hawaii in, it was 50. Okay, what well, was Alaska?
3: Alaska was forty
1: nine. Okay, so 49th, uh, 50. Still a lot of money. And Alaska's a big place, much bigger than Hawaii. A lot of money coming into Alaska just for basic infrastructure that the federal government provides for. And and so that's the reason why it kind of has an outsized amount of federal assistance. It's not because it's a big welfare state, welfare-dependent state, like the state of Mississippi is. And by that, we're talking about housing assistance and uh, SNAP. The uh, so-called food stamps, the, the uh, Supplemental Nutritional Program, can't remember the whole dead gum acronym, uh, and then uh, Medicaid, of course, is gigantic. It's about $5 billion a year, maybe just a little under five, that comes from the federal government to fund just base standard Medicaid as we have here in Mississippi because Mississippi has not expanded it. So what Thomas says is, what will be the token legislation that will prove they are conservatives and make us forget the past three sessions? Something to move us down this list, which, by the way, I submit, Thomas, that the focus should be on increasing our household income and our per capita income, and we're 50th in both of those categories, by a long shot, behind West Virginia, and... And so being the most dependent about 3 to 1 in terms of dollars we send to Washington versus dollars we receive back it certainly is a noble goal and we should we should improve that ratio and what i mean by that is we should try to wean ourselves off the the top of the list from receiving the most federal dollars relative to what we what we send And we should also seek to reduce our roles of all these various federal government programs because that means we're increasing. So increasing household income and per capita income has sort of the dual impact of improving overall economic output and the economic environment and prosperity in the state, and it also reduces the amount of dependency as well. And that's why I think that should be the focus. And I've said it before, and I think it bears repeating. I'd love to see the the House and the Senate install these giant real-time LCD screens that track our household income, display it, and our per capita income, and also display our rank in these 50 United States. Just keeping an eye on that to as what should be the focus, what should be the goal, the outcome to lift us off the bottom and improve those figures dramatically. So I I would like to know, Thomas, what you would think, just it's a serious question, what legislation would you like to see the, the House, Senate, the state government work on in the next session, keeping those goals in mind? And maybe you have a different set of goals. I don't know. But i just curious. So we can share that here on the air. Or is it all just a purity test? Right. And that's why I asked the question. Uh, so I think that I think all too often we get wrapped up, and I'm not pointing fingers at any individuals or any party, but we, we tend to get wrapped up in just platitudes and abstract concepts without details. And... The, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, and getting into the detailed, comprehensive policy-level plans structure to address these issues, that's quite a different matter. So, for example, a lot of people, and I'm with them, would say, we need to, we need to eliminate the federal deficit and retire the federal debt. I'm totally on board with that. How would you do that? Well, we just need to eliminate the reckless spending. Okay, what spending do you want to cut? And then you don't get any answers. So we have we have mandatory spending at the federal level and discretionary spending. The mandatory is about 70, and the discretionary is 30. The mandatory is on autopilot until you can get 60 votes in the Senate. To change that, on the discretionary side, that's mostly defense about two-thirds of discretionary. The other third is the whole rest of government, including foreign aid and all that other stuff that I know people squawk about, rightfully so. So what do you want to cut? You would have to cut about 90% of discretionary spending, which means the military would be gutted, to eliminate the deficit. Or, on the other hand, you could cut about a quarter Of the mandatory spending, that's Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, you can't do anything about the debt interest, that's the other piece of mandatory spending, to balance the budget. And everybody says, yeah, we need a balanced budget amendment. I I get it. Where's your plan? What does the revenue look like? What do the expenses look like? because that really is where the rubber meets the road. Without that, without that substance, without that comprehensive set of data, really, you're, it's just idle words. It's, it's wishful thinking. It, it's hard to get consensus sufficient in the House of Representatives and, and in the Senate, in some cases, needing 60 votes to achieve those goals. That's, that's, it's lofty goal, it's a laudable goal, but from a practical perspective, it's difficult. And this is why I have issues with, with uh, candidates, typically, for office that, will, that are they're pretty good about refraining these various positions and goals, like Kevin McCarthy, that's likely to be the next speaker of the House says, yeah, the first thing we're going to do is defund 87,000 IRS agents, that's great, except that's got to pass the Senate, and then the President's got to sign off on it. It's just not likely to happen. I'd love to see it happen. We have been, we have condemned it, uh, that policy. It's terrible policy. But from a reality perspective, it's much easier said than done. So how do you get that done? What are the, what's the likelihood that occurs? So, Thomas says, by the way, the state of Mississippi is the biggest employer in the state. Where are those promised reductions in the size of government? It actually has been reduced quite a bit, Thomas, in terms of the number on the state payroll. Who do you want to cut? Be specific. Be specific. It's easier said than done. Can't, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just curious. Be specific. Coming back with the last segment in this first hour, and then Don, uh, Doug Kelly, CEO of American Edge Project, after the news break.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back a little Pink Floyd. I'm going to send you this segment here on Midday's. We are once again in the Element Well Studios. The Dow presently down 317, the Nasdaq down 152, the 10-year yield up a little bit above 3.5. The Fed has signaled they are likely to increase the Fed funds rate by 50 basis points, half a percent in the month of December and then maybe taper off with quarter point rank uh, rate hikes in the 2023 year. Investors are trying to take all that in. Across the board, CEOs uh, in this country and economists are predicting that 2023 uh, will see a significant downturn in economic activity and GDP, and that is likely to have an impact on the markets. And honestly, I don't think the Fed's going to stop Until we start seeing the unemployment situation change and the data came out last week, late last week, that more jobs were created than forecast and investors reacted negatively to that because it typically gives more leeway to the Fed to keep increasing rates. They're trying to kill jobs, what they're trying to do, they're trying to kill income so that that uh, folks don't have money in their pocket to go spend, which drives inflation. I got to get to this reparations deal. Gavin Newsom created a committee to just explore possible payment of reparations for descendants of slaves. The committee came out with a proposal that would pay descendants of slaves in California two hundred and twenty three thousand dollars each. That would cost. $569 billion, with a beat, more than what they spent in all of 2021, the state of California. Nearly 6.5% of California residents, about 2.5 million people, identify as black or African-American, whether or not they're, I don't know how they go about tying them to slavery, or the uh, ancestors who were slaves not really sure it was a nine member reparations task force and some of this does go back to reports of housing discrimination that occurred between it is expected to be between uh it's thought to be between 1933 and 1977 is when some of this redlining and housing discrimination occurred discrimination with respect to property ownership. Wow. So that is a whole bunch of money. Kind of hard to imagine it would be that much. But the five hundred and fifty nine billion dollars. Wow. On the ceasefire text line, Dion may have to wait for a better job, but his son did he wants his son to get more exposure as he should. Mike and Jackson says, I doubt he will be robbed three times and his son's vehicles vandalized. At least he'll have clean water to drink. It's pretty famous in Colorado. 500,000 cash in a suitcase does wonders at 11, also, says Chris from Oxford. What's he talking about there, Rhino? You know? Mose says, I would like to see a session where the legislature works more at eliminating old, unneeded laws and regulations rather than creating hundreds of more laws. Any in mind, Mose? I'm with you. I'm trying to think what I would put on that list. Primetime will continue to grow his programs until he becomes the head man at the Dallas Cowboys on the ceasefire, text line. So why are they wanting to do reparations anyway, asks Malcolm from Tishomingo County. Hopefully that was clear in our little discussion there, Malcolm. It's, it's reparations for discrimination, for slavery, descendants of those who were enslaved during that period of time in this country, and then housing discrimination is really what they point to more than any time, so-called redlining, which did occur in some areas of this country. What the, the the impact of that is to those uh, presently alive and living in this country? I'm not sure. That seems like that would be a very difficult thing to ascertain and estimate. But that is what they have attempted to do here, this task force appointed by Gavin Newsom. Whether or not this deal will get passed by the California Assembly and sent to Gavin Newsom for... Enactment via his signature remains to be seen. Haven't seen any estimates of that possibility in likelihood at this point. Thomas should get his own radio show. He stays on this one on the C Spire text line. We are renting such a surplus in the coffers. Why not give some some back? The people have put the money there, but with no returns, Jerry in Waynesboro. Says that's actually a proposal. You may have caught that in uh, Richard Cross's interview with... uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman last week. He's actually suggesting that based on income. I made the proposal to do it based on taxes paid, not income, and I would like to see it done on that basis. I've Hopefully the lieutenant governor's listening and will think about that and maybe make an adjustment there. I'm certainly going to talk to the legislators about that. It ought to be
0: based on taxes paid. Coming right back. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply. And look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi, kicking off a brand new week here in the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, Doug Kelly, CEO of the American Edge Project. Doug, good to see you again, sir. Thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, Gerard. Thanks for having me again.
1: All right. So you recently wrote uh, an article, an op-ed, entitled, Who Will Build the Future? Uh, Autocracies or Democracies? Tell us what you mean by that exactly.
2: Yeah, sure. So technology isn't just another sector of our economy, right? It's the very backbone of our national security, our economic prosperity, and also the advancement of our values. Now, for many years, the U.S. was a recognized global technology leader, but China's been making serious investments as well as stealing our technology. Uh, and they're really competing with us to be number one. And at the end of the day, technology is really about geopolitical power. And it's going to determine who's going to lead the future. So the question is, do we want democracies in America building the future or do we want China and authoritarian governments leading and building the future? At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. So
1: are you concerned about any uh, particular bills at the federal level that (laughs) that might be problematic with respect to this? Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so there's good things that we can do, and there's bad things that we can do. I'll just give you one example of something that was bad, right? So, uh, you know, 20 years ago, Congress passed some short-sighted legislation that essentially shipped our manufacturing base overseas. That hurt our country. That We've never been able to recover from manufacturing, and China took that lead. So when it comes to technology, Congress did something great the other day when they passed the chips bill, which is going to build more microchips in the United States. But they're also talking about passing a series of anti-innovation bills that would target our largest technology companies, our most innovative ones, with bills that would either break them up, restrict the lines of businesses they can go into, or limit their ability to acquire new technologies and scale them. All of that is going to hand an unearned advantage to China at a time when we need to be doing everything possible to accelerate American
0: innovation. Hmm.
2: Interesting.
1: It, uh, any particular companies, Doug, that come to mind that might be in the crosshairs here that are, are critical mm-hmm. to our our edge in innovation? I, I share your concerns about uh, yeah. China and the Chinese government propping up their industry, stealing our secrets, our technology, honestly, <laughs> yeah. and then using yeah. that to come back at us. Any any companies that come to mind that you're you're concerned yeah. about?
2: So, the five biggest ones, right? So, Meta, uh, Amazon, Apple, uh, and the others, those are kind of the ones that are in the crosshairs of the bill. But let's not kid ourselves. Those companies are essential to the entire technology industry in the country because, first of all, they invest a lot in startups. Some of the bills would allow them not to do that. Uh, additionally, um, you know, if you think about it kind of like an iceberg, what you see them doing every day is be above the water line, so that's your social networking or your e commerce. But below the water, they're making multi billion dollar investments in artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and these are the technologies that are going to decide the future. And these bills would really hurt those companies' ability to invest in that area now these five companies alone invest more in those technologies than the pentagon does each year each year so they're important Uh, and look they they ain't perfect right they got some worse they got some problems that people are frustrated with but you can address those problems in a different way you don't have to do really onerous uh regulation that's going to hurt our ability to compete
1: yeah what about some of the companies that uh actually create the technology you know when i look at at it, it, Amazon, uh, for example, and I look at uh, and I think about the social media companies, I, I don't think as much about them as, as being creators of technology, but really more users of it and, and companies that leverage uh, technology and innovation made by other companies. I, I think about, for example, uh, Cisco, which makes most of the infrastructure that uh, connects our world, honestly which is embedded in virtually every digital interaction we have uh, in this country. Or Oracle would be another one. HP, IBM, Dell, these sorts of companies. Salesforce.com that create all this technology. I could go down a, a litany of them, of course. Are you concerned about them being in the crosshairs?
2: Well, a lot of regulations in D.C., as you know, they may be targeted in one area. But boy, they sure have a long history of spreading out to yeah. Yeah, I agree. other organizations. Yeah, yeah. I would also, under, I would also just add too that um, some of the biggest ones are both creators, but they're also accelerators too, yeah. right? Sure. They may not make something, but they may acquire a small startup and then accelerate that company's product to a scale and pace and and quality that the company could not have done originally on its own. Yeah. And so there's kind of they they do both ways.
1: Yeah. So what's the rationale for those in Washington that uh, seek to enact some of this legislation? What's their explanation, justification for it?
2: Yeah, well, sometimes they say the companies are too big. Um, Sometimes they say that, you know, there's not enough competition. Um, But I don't buy that premise because... There's plenty of competition sure. in this sector, not only among those platform companies themselves, but they're also competing on a global level with companies from China, and this is one of the biggest concerns that I have. Right, I'm originally from Michigan, right, where we lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs due to short-sighted legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the challenges is is that China subsidizes their com- companies. Um, They prohibit our country companies from working in their area and at the end of the day, um, China wants to make us more dependent on their technology, not just the U.S., but all Western democracies and allies because they see that as a lever that they can either turn off or turn uh, down and restrict Is a way to have leverage to make decisions that China wants. And that's not a position of dependency we should put ourselves in.
1: Yeah, I think it's also fair to say, would you agree, Doug, that that China uh, thrives on the regime in China, the the CCP. They thrive on the propaganda of going to their people and say, see, we told you, it works better than it does in free capitalist America. Look at all this technology we're creating that's really starting to dominate and proliferate the world.
2: You know, that's a great point you're making there. Um, and when you think about just kind of the, some of the protests that went on there recently, China's big lie to its people about we need a great, heavy surveillance state to protect you against COVID because no other country cares about their people and they're all dying. Yeah. Well, when the World Cup soccer was shown, uh, China's been all these lockdowns. Right. They see all these people together without masks, getting together, having fun, cheering for their team. And they're like, wait a minute. Yeah. We've been told a big lie. And so... Like, look, American technology, we got our issues, right? They they ain't perfect at all. Sure. But at the end of the day, when Russia invaded Ukraine, American technology companies were knocking down Russian propaganda, they were building patches for the different cyber attacks that Russian uh, technicians were trying to do. But China's technology companies, and China itself, were echoing Russian propaganda. And we can't do anything that makes ourselves more dependent on China's technology and doesn't allow the US to be the leader. In technology across the board.
1: What about American Edge Project, Doug? What are you guys doing to combat this?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. So, we're active in a number of states, right? We try and educate the public and lawmakers uh, about what's at stake, about the importance of who builds the future. And so, you can find more information about our organization. And we run TV ads, radio appearances like this one. Um, you can find more of us at American Edge Project. Um, And I just encourage your listeners, if they care about this issue and they want to make their voice heard, pick up the phone and call their lawmaker in D.C. And say, hey, listen, Mississippi has a great tech industry. America needs the strongest possible technology industry. Do not pass legislation that undermines America's ability to innovate because we're in a lame duck session where anything can happen right now. And some of the worst legislation right. passed in lame duck sessions. So. You're
1: absolutely right. Yeah, I, I just get worried anytime government thinks, well, we could come in and make this better, which is never the case. They always make it worse mm-hmm. un, under this pretense that, well, we're protecting Americans here. And uh, we're protecting the integrity of an industry, of our overall economy, by implementing all these crazy rules and regulations. It really never works. And you can't do it in an industry like this, which is a creative industry at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, kind of like you were saying earlier in your show, look, the market has ways of working these things out, right? I mean, you know, for a while... You know, I'm old enough when I remembered. you know, we had MySpace and others that were leaders, and they could never that's be right. beaten. Well, right. others come along and innovate, so.
1: yep, that's an excellent point as well. And we got to let innovators innovate and keep the, the long arm of government in, in their boot off their, their necks. That's what we got to do. Appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for joining us. Very informative. Uh, the website again, sir?
2: AmericanEdgeProject.org.
1: Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Doug. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, sir. Middays Uh is taking a break right here, coming right back. Don't forget Ricky Matthews Super Talk Outdoors coming up at twelve oh five. Stay with us.
0: with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> Let's go.
1: Welcome back everyone, midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studios. So on the C Spire Text Line, Ryan and Madison says, I'd like them to pass year-round daylight savings time. What is the actual reason for not having it year-round? Remember that the Senate actually passed such a bill that would convert the country, the entire country, to year-round DST. But it uh, never saw the light of day in the House of Representatives. Rubio, I think, was the main sponsor. There are a couple of states. Actually, uh, Ryan says Hawaii and Arizona. Arizona observes standard time year-round, standard time. And uh, that's because it gets awfully dang hot out there in the summer, and they have rather long days where they're they're located. And so they observed year-round standard time. I don't know about Hawaii. I think it, too, is standard time, if I'm not mistaken. But that's since like the 60s, as I recall, Rhino, when Arizona did that. And I believe it requires now, I don't know about then, a federal permission, federal government would have to authorize it. We've actually passed a bill here, I think. I seem to recall we and maybe Colorado and Kentucky, Florida, maybe a couple of others. But you got to get, it's got to pass through the federal government or receive some sort of authorization from the federal government now. Thomas and Greenwood says, I'm a descendant of sharecroppers. Where are my reparations? Good luck with that. Mose says, uh, with respect to old unneeded laws and regulations, certificate of need immediately comes to mind. I'm with you on that, Mose. Been crusading on that for about 20 years, I feel like. And uh, just can't get any traction in the legislature. Cannot get any traction. I'm not really sure why. It just seems like the, there's always folks that, don't want to see that change, and they uh, have the ear of the legislators, best I can tell. Therefore, it doesn't. Carol Starkville says, wonder how many Jews are in California. I'm not sure what's relevant about that. You, what you may be talking about, I guess, Carol, is what happened during World War II to the Jews, but the United States was not involved in that oppression so wh- whereas the United States was involved in redlining and, of course, slavery, that doesn't justify, in my view, paying reparations to those descendants. I, I don't think that that justifies it. It's not proper, reasonable rationale for that. But, and, of course, there's, there's been some other communities, Rhino, we've talked about, that have already done just that. Small amounts of money. It wasn't $223,000 to every descendant. I want to say one of them was a city in North Carolina or something like that. And there are others. Yesterday in Clary Clarion Ledger about Louisiana cane. Okay, so Rusty says, read the story about the black farmers today. Yesterday in Clarion Ledger about Louisiana cane farmers being treated differently on loans and such. I, I didn't read that story, Rusty, but I, I have heard of that and there there have been some reports that there have, was some discrimination applied and used in approving loans. I do not think that happens anymore whatsoever. In fact I'd say if anything, there's discrimination against white applicants. Everything is kind of jumped across the the, the fairness bar and swung the pendulum in the other direction is kind of a soft form of reparations. It's the same thing in contracting that we've talked about extensively. The city of Jackson, for example, whose uh, procurement policies require minority participation, or, or if you don't have minority participation in your proposal to do business with the city of Jackson, you're likely not to score higher than any other applicants that do or any other vendors, not applicants, but vendors that provide proposals for uh, various solicitations for goods and services by the city. And uh, I would describe that as discrimination, honestly. The same thing applies with federal contracting, Uh, many private entities now. Give preferential treatment to minority vendors. I mean, they have policies in place that directs purchasing and procurement staff to do just that. So that seems to be okay, yet the Supreme Court, you may be aware, is hearing what is likely to be a landmark decision regarding, I think it's a graphic artist, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, that uh, is. Um, Refusing to um, to provide art, to complete artworks, of same-sex marriages, and I think I got that right. If you'd look it up for me, I thought it was a website designer. Maybe, maybe so. Right? Okay. Instead of uh, same sort of deal though. Right? Uh, I guess it's it's websites are really just art, digital art, in a sense. But you you could be right. Uh, And refusing to do those for the same-sex couples who get married to feature them in this individual's work and the Supreme Court is going to hear whether or not that is constitutional, essentially. So put me down in the camp that a private business has the right to do business with whomever they want unless – under some contract that that stipulates who they have to do business with, what the terms and conditions are of those transactions. What do you see? Is that what you see?
3: Yeah. Time has uh, the Supreme Court is hearing the case of a Christian graphic artist who objects okay. to designing wedding websites for gay couples. Okay. Well, uh, thanks. like there's not right. any other it, person it, it in great. the world that could
1: possibly make that friggin' website for your fruity wedding. That, and that's the, the obvious, the obvious question, right? Why do you want to force this individual?
3: Who because f- it's not about their rights; it's about punishing dissent.
1: That's that's right. And and honestly, staining those who hold those beliefs. Christians generally, a lot of them do hold those beliefs, and and uh, hold that marriage is between a man and a woman, and they object to that. I think they have a right to do so. The federal government should not force them, force them to service any customer for any reason. Again, in my view, unless it's... Because you see the slippery slope here? There are a lot of reasons other than because of one's sexual orientation to refuse to do business. What about abusive customers? So here's the situation. What if you have an abusive customer that also... Happens to be gay, but the government says, no, you've got to do business with them. Or they pay slow. Or they're just a hassle. Or you can't make any money off of them because they consume all your time and they badmouth you. I mean, it's, you just should have the right, just like consumers have the right. That's what free market's all about. And the government shouldn't intervene. Now, when there's conditions of licensing or contracts involved, that's different. But in this case, there's not. There's no licensing. Thank God, knock on wood, next thing you know, you have to get a damn license to be a web designer. Uh, Which is ultimately the level of control they would like to assert, let's be honest about it. Uh, let's see here. Slavery has been around forever. Why is it just black people are the only ones to get reparation for being slaves? Many other races have been slaves too. That from Paul and in Meridian. And you're you're absolutely right on that, Paul. And in fact, uh, Rhino, I caught if I can find it here. I caught a uh, something from the Anti Defamation League. Yeah. Who has updated their definition of racism. The marginalization, I may have read this the other day, it bears, I think, repeating. It's, it's, uh, I think, rather shocking. The marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. So the ADL says racism can only exist when the person engaged in it is white and the person that is being discriminated against due to racism is a person of color. So people of color cannot discriminate against white people. What about other people of color? That happens too. So ridiculous. We're coming back with uh, half an hour left and then Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. It is on, on Super Talk Mississippi. Down in Deaoria, the scene was changing. Bingo and Rock were pushing out X-rays. We were the first band to bomb in the bar. We
1: are back in the Element Well Studios. Jody in Pontotoc wants to know, why do we have to watch commercials of people taking certain medicine for their age treatment, and it's usually two men kissing or whatever? Seems like that's the main thing in the commercial. Well, you don't have to watch them, Judy. You could certainly flip the channel, and they are a private company. And while it's pretty clear to me that private companies have once again in their advertising, if you look at at the actor's in uh, all forms of their advertising it, it's pretty clear that most of the time they would be uh, minorities or those of uh, that who are gay no doubt about it you, you just see more of that or interracial customers uh, customers uh, couples <laughs> pardon me uh, and that's fine. They're private companies. They can do whatever they want. But if you watch the commercials, you would think, well, gee, most of their customer base must be like that. Because typically you would want to feature actors that are more aligned with their customer base. Because you want people, you want to exhort, right, Rhino, those feelings from your customers that, yeah, I want to be like that. I can't help but think about the, the Styx tune, Grand Illusion, where it's all about pay no attention to what you see on TV and in the newspapers and the magazines. <laughs> Dennis DeYoung, the lead singer, says when he introduces a song live, says that's all, I can't say it out loud, but that's all BS. That's not real life. And that's what these commercials, right? And they're, they're always trying to make... You think that you can be like them and enjoy whatever it is they're enjoying. But so they're, they're private companies, as far as I'm concerned. They can do whatever they want. I, I would question whether or not that's the most effective form of advertising because they're sort of appealing to a smaller segment of the population. That's the biggest thing. The fact is that just represents a, s- a smaller portion. Uh, m- minorities, for example... That's why they're minorities. Why are we call them minorities? That, but it's fine with me. Do whatever you want, and you don't have to watch it. You sure, certainly turn it off. But gosh, if you watch um, like HGTV, it just seems like every commercial—that's that's what you're going to see. Uh, you're you're going to see mixed ethnicity, which is fine. I got no issue with that. They're adults. They can do whatever they want. It's just that, but it, it's not to me a reflection. Of reality and in, in our culture as it is you'll you'll find it very difficult to, to see any commercials that feature just a mainstream white male female family just there's not many of them or a couple or individual even it's typically gonna be um, a black person, and I don't say this to be discriminatory, I'm just observing. It's just, just anecdotal observation, or mixed ethnicity marriage, or interracial marriage, or uh, or black actors, minority brown actors, It's in the wake of the... Um, I guess a lot of the hostilities directed towards China because of COVID. You see lots of Asians featured. It's almost like a soft form of reparations that these companies are engaged in and and featuring ads. I I caught an interview, I don't know if you've seen this one, Rhino, that um, was on the Hill, it was the Kroger CEO being questioned by... Uh, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, and the reason it got all the way up to the hill, this particular matter, was because there was a, a Kroger store in uh, in Arkansas, in Senator Cotton's home state, that terminated a couple of people, workers, because they refused to wear an apron. You know how lots of the workers in the grocery stores wear these these aprons just, just to protect their clothing, and it had a heart on it and it had the LBGTBTQ rainbow colors embroidered in the heart that was on the apron and they refused to wear it, objecting on religious grounds, and they got fired. And Kroger ended up having to pay, he went to court and had to pay a settlement. had, had to uh, pay damages for that termination. It's considered discrimination. And so they he was asking the CEO about that, and he was going on all about this, how we we aspire to be inclusive and all that sort of stuff. But when you start forcing people, that's, that's not inclusion. Forced diversity and inclusion is not diversity and inclusion. If it does not happen naturally, on one's own accord, through their own volition, but it's just done through force. I actually, believe it worsens the situation. It makes people makes people uh, feel more discriminatory and even hostile towards others because they're being forced to do something against their will. Does not mean that they that they harbor any ill will or they have any sort of hate that's in their heart? Towards those people. It just means they're not comfortable promoting it. There's a difference, I think, between accepting, acknowledging, and treating other people fairly and equitably and then promoting. And that's what this is, in my view, it's just promotion. And the CEO, this is what shocked me, was not aware of this case. Not aware of it. A discrimination case brought against his company, he was not aware. And and actually was ordered by the court to pay damages compensatory damages it was not aware and i'm thinking well if it happened there there's probably other people in your company that just didn't quite go to the level of i'm just not going to wear that and you forced them to well that's not right i mean no no more than if if you're a um, let's say you you're a a deeply devout christian should you force people To accept your views and to wear symbols that reflect and promote that? No, you shouldn't force them to. If it's a condition of employment that you knew about when you were hired and you entered into a contract understanding that, that's different as well. So, but that's where we are in this country. So, for what it's worth, folks, if you're shopping at Kroger, because I know a lot of people attempt to, or, or declare that they're boycotting certain companies based on their, their views and their actions, and here's yet another one, you, it's hard, you'll hard, be hard pressed to find one that doesn't have this sort of stuff going on, honestly, they're, I call it woke insurance, they're all engaged in it, go to every major corporation website in this country. And go to and you'll easily find their diversity, equity, and inclusion inclusion department, and it is well staffed and well funded, and that's the kind of stuff that's going on. And you'll see their initiatives and efforts to to target minority-owned businesses as vendors and to recruit minorities, and, and which includes, of course, those uh, various sexual orientations into their companies. I mean, a a deliberate, intentional effort to do so, rather than hiring the best person for the jobs, what I call the march to mediocrity. We see it in our government, in our military as well, and we've got the Defense Authorization Act coming up here pretty soon that the Congress is going to have to vote on. That funds the military, and a couple of things that I think should be included in there conditional on approving that funding is to not only do away with the stupid vaccine mandate for members of the armed forces, but also to to pay them a financial recovery and restitution, those who were fired because they refused it and were put out of work. I, I think that that was unfounded, and unwarranted, and uh, should be included in the NDAA, as well as all this woke nonsense that's happening in our military, and in particular, with uh, uh, our academies, our military academies, which have gone total woke. we discussed that quite a bit here on the program. That all should be, in my view, tied into the funding, now, Republicans don't, really have the the votes, but they could stand in the way and try to make it really, really difficult for the Democrats. I shared Doug Kelly, who was just on the program, American Edge Project. I share his concerns that in this lamed-up session, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that could happen as the Democrats go down in flames, and they try to ram through everything they can while they still have power in both houses, of course, and in, in the White House as well. They're going to try to push through that child tax credit, sure as I'm sitting here. They're going to try to include that in the discretionary funding bill. And now the problem is you got Republicans calling for more funding of the military, because this is all about discretionary spending, as we discussed. So the Democrats are coming back and saying, okay, well, we want to increase all the other uh, non-military discretionary spending, which includes stuff like the child tax credit. That's the Politics at work there. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Coming back with a final segment today on Monday and then Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews.
0: Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday's final segment here on this Monday, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews on tap next after the news break at the top of the hour. The Dow now down even lower, down to 415, the NASDAQ 197, big sell-off today. That is because we actually got some positive manufacturing data out, the uh, manufacturing index of the purchasing managers, and so that just, again, is cover for the Fed to keep raising rates. It tells the Fed the economy is not cooling off enough. Demand is still too strong. we got to keep raising rates to reduce demand. That's the only tool they have to rid this sticky inflation from our economy. We will see. Jason says... I see Americans in those ads. That's it. Agree or not with their choices, that's what it boils down to for me. We aren't all straight white nuclear families anymore, if we ever were. That's what the military that everyone claims to support looks like, by the way. Yeah, I hear you, Jason. I agree. I have no issue with these private companies spending their money however they want on their advertising. I was just making an observation. I would also point out that we're not all black, Asian, homosexual, interracial, transgender either. But about 99% of the ads feature actors that are, and that just simply doesn't align with the the broader population. I don't believe that these companies staff and cast actors, uh, it just seems to me like, in, in a way that is the most effective and optimum promotion of their goods and services. I think they do it just a virtue signal, just to pay their woke insurance premiums. Hey, look at us. Look what we did. I, that's what I think it is. Again, I'm not condemning, for, condemning them. I'm just questioning their business logic. Is this the best use of their money? They can do whatever they want. As far as I'm concerned, it's their money. Their businesses. They will have to deal with whatever the consequences and impact are, be a, be they positive or negative. It's their choice. They're a private company. So I'm not suggesting to uh, any action to be taken, just making an observation. That's really it. Companies are trying to make it look normal, shoving their beliefs down normal people's throats, says Greg in Newton, Mississippi. It is what it is, Jason says. They know their audience. Well, sure they do, but I, it's just my opinion that they're not advertising to appeal to a particular audience. They're advertising to pay their premiums on their woke insurance. It's just an opinion. The target audience of an AIDS treatment isn't straight people. I'm not offended by the ads, says Thomas and Green. Well, I'm not offended by any of the ads either. i it, it doesn't bother me. I just find it fascinating and and uh, not sure if it is in their best interest from an advertising perspective. Not that it's running other people off. I don't know that it's doing that or prospective customers off. I just think that it it doesn't accurately, holistically reflect the target market. In the case, you're right, Thomas. In the case of... Of age drugs, well, sure, the the main audience for that is uh, isn't straight people. I totally agree with you. But I just throw something out there. What about toothpaste? I mean, what's the target audience for that? And I, I don't know. I haven't seen any toothpaste ads. I have to go think about it. Well, you remember the one that we feature here on the show, Rhino, Pantene, the hair products maker. And the ad—you couldn't even tell they were selling Pantene. Rather, it was two actors. It was it was two uh, lesbians who were ecstatic because their boy—they were parents of a boy—had uh, decided that they wanted to, at a young age, transition into being a girl, and they were like celebrating that. And I couldn't see that they were actually selling shampoo. It came on at the very end, and it was not much, honestly. Again, that's, they can do whatever they want. It's their choice. They spent their money that way, but it didn't offend me. I just thought, well, geez, I thought you were supposed to be trying to sell shampoo here. You spent a lot of money producing that ad and airing that ad. Not sure that's moving the needle there. They are going to shove the agenda down our throat at any cost, says Larry and Jackson. Many people are so turned off by the wokeness that they won't buy their products says Johnny N. McComb. CJ from Madison. Great show as usual, Gerard. Been busy with college, but I've been listening on the Super Talk app. Thanks for that, CJ. Take care of your grades now. Oh, yeah, before we go here, Ben from Madison says, not enough time today, but I watched the corrections hearing from last week. I was surprised to find out that the parole board denies parole to 60% of inmates who were eligible. I wonder how many of that 60% were nonviolent offenders. Sounding like Chairman Barnett and Senator Sparks were frustrated with a few answers coming from the parole board. I just would have to know the details, Ben. I'm not um, suggesting that your analysis isn't accurate. We just need to know the details of every case before I would even weigh in on that. We're out of here today, back in the Element Well Studios. Tomorrow, Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors, next with Ricky Matthews. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A
0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.